This podcast is part of the Bombpod Media Network. I'm Maka. And I'm Riff Raff. And together we host the Don't Break the Oath podcast, which is a look into the paranormal, cryptozoology, mysteries, and more. And more. So if you like the hillbilly horror stories, then you might like us. You will like us. We've recently upgraded all our equipment. Yep. New mics, new mixers. Hopefully in the new year, we should have a new studio. Yeah, so those of you that may have listened to us before on the Hillbilly Horror Stories and come across found the sound quality not to be great, you might uh, have a different opinion now, hopefully, fingers crossed. But that being said, if uh, you like the paranormal, come and check us out. We are Don't Break the Oath podcast, found everywhere you find the Hillbilly Horror Stories. Uh, Well, I say everywhere, apart from Google Play, obviously, because we're in the UK. But um, that being said, uh, I just want to thank Jerry and Tracy for your time. You are listening to one of my favourite podcasts, so Hillbilly Hell yeah. yeah. Thank you, Joey and Tracy. Thank you. There must be something in the water And there must be something about your daughter She said, I love you nothing but a monster My love ain't nothing but a monster with two heads oh, All right, everybody, welcome to episode 67 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry, and I'm joined by Tracy. Hey, guys, what's going on? This is our pre-Thanksgiving edition, if you're in the United States. If not, it's our uh, pre-Thursday edition to everybody else. Mm, couple, 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 couple. There'll be none of that. <laughs> All right, as you can hear, yes, <laughs> as you can tell, my voice is still not 100% back. Um, so we're just going to have Tracy just uh, take the whole show tonight, and uh, here you go. Oh. Okay, I wouldn't do that to any of you. Yeah, I know. Your voice is really annoying, by the way. I know it. After three weeks, it's really old. <laughs> <laughs> but I still love you, though. All right, good. So, here's what we got tonight. Uh, first of all... Thanks to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter where you are. God bless each and every one of you. <sighs> What's up with that? What's up with you just jumping in I there? I did. I took the reins. All right, great. Go ahead and tell us who our Patreon supporters were for this week. Our Patreon supporters for this week are Dylan <laughs> Mc- McNamara. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yay. And Lucia Garza. Luce, no, wait a minute. Lucia Garza. Or how about Lucia Garza? Oh, crap. Lucia Garza. We appreciate you both so much. Thank you. And just because she said that three times, Lucia, doesn't mean you have to pay us three times. <laughs> That was just... Uh, <laughs> and I was reading that upside down, so major skills. But we do uh, definitely appreciate your Patreon support. Absolutely. Uh, those of you have been telling us that you love the little mini episodes we've done. Oh, we've done two good. of those already. So uh, keep in mind, if you jump onto Patreon, they don't charge you anything right off the bat. So you can join and kind of try it before you buy it. They don't charge you till the first of the month. So uh, jump on there and, and see um, all the different things we had to offer. But shoot, we're up now to... I want to say there's 12 or 13 little bonus episodes in there. Some of them are, some of them, you know, the majority of them, eight or nine of them are full-fledged, full-length episodes. And then the other ones are little mini episodes. Uh, And if those of you who are Patreon supporters, my voice uh, only allowed me to do a 30-minute episode. So we're going to get you another 30-minute one out to equal the full episode for the month's up. So you'll get get the full episode before it's done. Okay. Uh, iTunes reviews. LWP the second. Paul 08, 1977, assuming that's a birthday. Nobody cares. I like that one. Uh, this one was kind of cute. It was live, and it had um, 
the name was live, and then it had probably about 15 different characters, everything from parentheses to question marks, and I wasn't <laughs> about to read all that. All right. Uh, okay. Shush, Shush Shriek, Shorts Out, Drop Tine, TWD, number one, I'm assuming that's The Walking Dead, Super Movie, and Katie Bottomley. Got to admit, I kind of like that one. Yeah. So, uh, I got a special shout out. We had a fan reach out to us and was completely and utterly um, surprised that we wrote back, which kind of surprises us because we make it a point to mention constantly that we interact with anybody who writes us, we write back. Uh, We like talking to you guys, and it's a good opportunity to bring up our fan page. Uh, I say fan page, it's not really a fan page, I guess it kind of is, but it's a Facebook page. So join us on Hillbilly Horror Stories on the Facebook page. We put up a bunch of jokes and scary things, but there's three things that go up every single day for sure. We put up a joke of the day in the morning, and then we put up a a little bit of a little scary story uh, sometime in the afternoon. Usually it's something like a haunted place. Uh, I try to stick to different states. Like if, if I do Nebraska, for example, I will do all that week. Uh, Sunday through uh, the following Sunday will be all Nebraska stuff. And then that way everybody kind of gets involved. And and then at the end of the night, I'll throw some kind of twisted thought, which is usually like a creepy fact or something in there. But then we interact throughout the day. But a lot of people leave posts and stuff on there, and we always answer every one of them back. So, um, But this young lady, she was super nice, uh, super adorable, and we greatly appreciate her reaching out to us. Her name is Mia Biberoas, and I'm sure I mispronounced that last one, but I had her uh, tell me how to say it, but still telling me and me getting it right or two different things. <laughs> but she actually lives in Kimball, Nebraska, and I'm sure there's absolutely nothing to do in Kimball, Nebraska other than listen to podcasts and watch TV. So thank you, Mia, for oh, being so nice to us. we cannot know that. I can know that. You cannot. You've never even been there. I've never even heard of it. Therefore, okay, therefore how much can how be? You, oh, therefore, it could be the wildest party town in the world. No, you don't seriously know. doubt it. Seriously doubt it. Hi, Mia. But she actually sent us a couple of uh, uh, little short stories, uh, one of which we'll probably do at some point in time because it was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, actually, they were both cool, but one of them was a little more cool than the other. But she, uh, I, I want to give a special shout out to her because she said Tracy was her podcast idol. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Man, that made me blush. Like, seriously. And you are the sweetest thing ever for saying that. And I love you. So let's jump into our story tonight, because we got a couple of cool ones, I think. We teased it a little bit last week. I said we were going to talk about the Hexham Heads. And what I like about the the Hexham Heads is I haven't heard a whole lot of podcasts on this. Uh, I know for a fact that there was a really cool version of this story, which we tried to be completely different of. Uh, on the unexplained with uh, Richard McLean Smith, and there's really not a whole lot out. There's a couple of YouTube videos, but there's like two or three. That's it. So it's kind of um, an unknown subject to a lot of people, and that's what I think piqued my interest in this one. So are you ready to get started? I am ready. All right, 1971. Now you'll see you're going to see a bunch of reports if you look at this. It says 1972. That's not accurate. This actually happened in 1971. Happened in a little town in Hexham, England. Uh, actually, kind of on the outskirts, but we're going to go with Hexham. A family uh, called the Robsons had just recently moved into the house on Three Reed. That's number Three Reed Street. Three Reed Street. Yep, Three Reed Street, and um, they lived in there, and just like. You know how it goes when you move into a place, there's a thousand things that need to get done. Of course. And they were just really kind of starting to get settled, and uh, they wanted to go ahead and start getting every facet of it done from the outside and the inside. So they had their two sons go out to the yard and start pulling weeds and everything because it had really grown up. Mm -hmm. So that's what they were doing. So the two boys, one of which was 11-year-old Colin and his younger brother Leslie, were out there cleaning up the yard, pulling up all these weeds and stuff. Well, Colin actually found this strange stone. It was definitely different than all the other rocks and stuff that were in the yard. And uh, it was kind of buried a little bit, but when they pulled up the weeds, it kind of came up with it. The rock came up with a weed? Yeah, well, you know how when you pull up the weeds, <laughs> like it, pulls, it pulls up a clump of dirt, and, and underneath that dirt was a stone. It was stone. the rock. So the You're stone, right. you were talking like it was connected to the leaves. I mean, the... the. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he pulls this thing out. It's about the size of a tennis ball. And it was... Kind of round for the most part, but it had a face carved into it. And he could see as he started brushing it away that it just wasn't a regular rock. This was something that actually had a face hmm. made into it. It wouldn't just naturally looking like, oh, that kind of looks like a face. It was something that was actually carved into it. All righty. 
He was so excited about it, he called for his brother Leslie to come over, and they both kind of started digging around a little bit, and they found a second one. Oh. Yep. So, there, But these were two different, completely different types of stones. Their first was similar to a skull. It had manly-type features to it, so they called it the boy stone. Okay. I didn't lose you there, right? Huh? I said I didn't lose you on that one, right? No. Had manly features, so they called it the boy. Yeah, I got you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of greenish-gray, and it glittered with quartz crystals throughout it. It's very heavy, a lot heavier than what concrete would be. Yeah. You know, concrete's at that. So you can, if you ever pick up like a stone stone that's you solid, know, yeah. it's way heavier than what concrete is. That sounds kind of cool, actually. The hair actually was stripes from the front to the back. Wait, his hair? It's hair? Yeah, on the rock. It had stripes going from the front to the back, making it look like hair. Oh, dang. Like a comb over? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other head, which they called the girl, had witch-type features. So they called it, some people called it the witch, some people called it the girl. But the hair was actually, on this one, was tied into a knot. And it wasn't real hair. These were just mm-hmm. carved in. But it was tied into a knot. It had bulging eyes, a crooked nose, and in its hair was kind of traces of uh, uh, red and yellow color. Oh, wow. So the boys took the heads into the house. They cleaned them all up and everything, made them look all as nice as they could, got all the dirt and stuff out of them. They put it on a shelf, and that's when all the strange things start to happen tied in with the story. So the next morning, the boys get up. They go in there to look at the heads, and the heads now are on the shelf, but they're facing in a total different direction than they were when they put them up there. They're actually facing now to where they're looking out the window, mm-hmm. overlooking where they were just dug where up they from? were dug up from. Whoa, what's that about? <laughs> yeah. So then some other weird stuff started to happen. So the, first, you got the the heads that are turned uh, when they shouldn't have been. And then objects around the house just kind of started breaking without any kind of reason. Now, they don't really go into a lot of detail as to what these were. Everything just kind of says the same. There were just a bunch of objects that just started breaking for no reason whatsoever. So I don't have any specifics on that. Uh, there was one instance, though, where the daughter, actually, her mattress was showered with glass. Now, I don't know where this glass came from. I don't know if it, it didn't say that it came from a broken window or anything. It just said that it was, her bed was showered with glass so she couldn't stand there anymore. Wow. Yeah. Now, the oldest daughter, Wendy, she was actually, when, when they first moved into the house, she was gone on her honeymoon. Uh, so she hadn't, she wasn't there during the course of when they found us. But she gets back to the house and she thought the boys were playing some kind of tricks or pranks or mm-hmm. something like that. So she took the heads and she took them in her bedroom and she put them uh, like at the at one end of her bed, mm-hmm. and then when she woke up the next morning, they were at the other end of the bed, and nobody knew that she had taken these and put them there. She was the only one that knew, mm-hmm. so nobody could have snuck in there and, yeah. and changed them. So when she woke up the next morning, they were on the other side of the bed from where she had put them. So what'd she think about that? Well, I don't know. I didn't ask her. I should have set up an interview or something with her, but I didn't get a chance because mm-hmm. uh, this was back in the seventies. So these people. Yeah. Probably pretty old right now. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the strange things that started happening, and this actually happened a little later down the road, but on Christmas, a flower, a very strange flower, started growing out there in the garden right where they had found the stones. And this was a, a type of flower they had never seen before, and they didn't plant. It just all of a sudden grew mm-hmm. right there. And then they also started seeing a strange light out there in that same area. Like they could look out from the window at nighttime, there would be like a strange mm-hmm. a glow or a light just out there that didn't used to be out there. So that was the kind of problems that they were having. Now, at this point in time, it's kind of important to point out that they lived in a duplex, now, you know what a duplex is. Yes, I do. I don't know that everybody listening will know what a duplex is because housing is different all over the world. A duplex is basically a house that one side is an apartment and the other side is an apartment. So it's not like an upstairs, downstairs. It's a single level. Side by side. Yeah, single level, and it's got two front doors, and you know it's split right down the middle. Half of it is one occupant, and the other half is another occupant. And that's what this house was on Reed Street that they moved into. And the reason I'm telling you that is because the other side of the house was inhabited by the Dodds family. Now, one night, the Robsons, who were telling the main story about, they were actually woke up by screams coming from uh, the side of the, the house that the Dodds lived in. Mrs. Dodd had actually been sleeping with her daughter uh, in her room because she was sick. 
and her son had came into her and basically woke her up and said that something had touched his legs while he was asleep. Mm-hmm. She gets him, you know, all calmed down and everything, gets him back to bed, and um, she goes back to sleep in her daughter's room. Her daughter, Marie, actually woke up, and then she woke her mom up because she was scared. Her mom woke up, and in front of her was this creature just standing there that looked like it was half man and half sheep. She said, like, the waist up, it was a sheep. It had the head of a sheep. Mm-hmm. And the waist down was of a, of a man. She said it ran down the steps and out the front door. She was so disturbed by this that she actually went to the Hexham Council and asked to be relocated. Because I guess, I don't know if it was like a government type situation or where oh, she lived. Oh, I get you. She asked to be relocated and eventually she actually was relocated. The Robsons decided that... They didn't like all the activity was going on since they found the heads. So they took it over to the Newcastle University Museum of Antiquities. Mm-hmm. There, there was a guy by the name of uh, Roger McCard and David Smith. They were archaeologists. And they were studying these heads that they brought them. And McCard thought that the heads looked like they were of Celtic origin, which Celtic is like an ancient religion mm-hmm. back in the uh, pagan days and stuff like that. But it was... Not really a Christian religion by any means. It was more of a, you know, almost like a Wiccan type. Mm-hmm. But the Celtics are known for um, some strange stuff from back in the days. He didn't know much about the Celtic uh, field, but he knew somebody who did. He took us to Dr. Ann Ross, who was an expert in, in Celtic artifacts. She so backed up on work and everything that she decided that she was going to take these heads home with her. And that way she had some extra time to kind of examine them. She said that she thought that these things were approximately 1,800 years old and originally used during a Celtic head rituals. Mm. All the issues that the Robsons were having, they seemed to stop as soon as they took the heads to the museum to be researched. I mean, so they didn't kind of get the coincidence at all? Why didn't they just put the heads back where they got them? Well, I don't know, but... I'm saying maybe that stuff would have stopped. It might have, but they took it there to find out. And mm-hmm. once they took it them, everything kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately for Ann Ross, that burden was now hers. Because according to Dr. Ross, she said that one night shortly after she actually brought them home to her house, she woke up suddenly at 2 a.m. 2 a.m. in the morning. She was chilled and extremely frightened. At the instant that she woke up, she saw a tall, jet black, wolf-headed figure standing against the front white of the open door. You know, like when you open the door, you got that little bit of light that comes out. Oh, yeah. Out. And she said she could see it there. She said it moved out of the corridor, and she felt this irresistible urge to follow it. So she did. And she said she could clearly see and hear the creature as it went down the steps, uh, down the staircase, down to the near the kitchen. She described the creature vividly, not only describing its blackness and tallness, but she said that the, that the part of it was distinct part animal and part of it was human, no ifs, ands, or buts. She said the creature um, went into the kitchen, and then all of a sudden, like, the spell that she was under kind of broke, and then she was, like, overwhelmed with fear. No. Oh. So she got upstairs, and she woke her husband up, and uh, they, they went down together. They kind of searched the whole house. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find any sign of an intruder. They couldn't find anything, any way that anybody had forced their way in. So it was as if nothing happened. So her husband said that he thought she just had, like, a really vivid dream. Yeah. But she's convinced that that's not what happened. And her daughter is also convinced that's not what happened because that same day, she came home to a house that was supposed to be empty at 4 p.m. She unlocked the front door, and as soon as she opened the door, she said she saw something large, dark, and inhuman rushing down the stairs at her. She said about halfway down, it stopped, vaulted over the banister, landed on the floor with a soft thud, like a heavy animal that had thickly padded feet. (laughs) So here's a twist in the story. So Anne says this thing is 2,800 to 2,000 years old. She felt like it was using Celtic uh, religion, and she's an expert in this field, so she would probably know this type of thing. Mm-hmm. She says that it was made out of sandstone, uh, which is an, a natural occurring stone, um, and so it would have been a solid piece. In 1972, 
Desmond Craigie came forward and said that he actually made those two heads for his daughter, who was 16 at the time, as a toy. Really? He made them just for fun, and he said he made them out of concrete. He said there originally was three of them, so he doesn't know where the other one went, but there was three of them, but they only found the two of them, because uh, he said he used to actually live in that house back in like 50, 1956, 57, which was, you know, we're talking like 16 years ago from when they found this. So how do we get from, she says they're 1,800 years old and made out of sandstone. He says he lived at the house and made them 16 years before and made them out of just cement, concrete. Yeah, that is bizarre. He even went as far as to say he could remake them. Because keep in mind, th- these uh, pictures of these things and uh, the stories about them were now circulating. They were all over the news. This was like a big deal back in 72 mm-hmm. when all this took place, 71, 72. So it was in newspapers and magazines and stuff over there. So that's why this guy came forward. And he said that every time he would see a story, he just kind of laughed, thinking people were making a big deal out of it. And mm-hmm. he made these things, you know, just as a toy. Uh, for his kids. So he even went as far as said, look, I'll make some more of them just to show you. Yeah. But the ones that he made weren't of the same quality and mm-hmm. they didn't look as good. They didn't really they, they compare looked, at all. Yeah, they didn't compare. That was the best way to put it. And, you know, and Ross obviously said these things were made out of sandstone, mm-hmm. not any kind of concrete. Now, there was another scientist that actually did a study afterwards that contradicted Ann Ross and said that there was some cement in with it with something else he couldn't really figure but the reality of it is these things have been researched and researched and nobody can really tell even to this date what it was they were actually made of which is kind of odd because usually these scientists and stuff can figure anything out if they got enough time to look at it you know they can look at a rock and tell you it was you know 10 million years old by the carbon dating and stuff like that and you've got multiple people that disagree about what these things are made of She's an actual expert in the Celtic religion. She swears up and down that's what they were. This guy says he handmade them, but the ones he remade don't match up to what they are. Okay, so I hope I really didn't miss anything. Why were they buried in the yard? I don't know. Nobody knows why they were buried in the yard. Hmm. Okay, I guess I didn't miss anything. So, what's the deal? Were these things Celtic or not? If they're Celtic and they're 1,800 years old... As Ann Ross said, it would be easy to imagine that maybe there was a curse put on them. Yeah. Some people believe that rocks and stone, and you'll hear this a lot with places where there's a lot of limestone around, that people say they kind of soak up energy and they actually can store like visual pictures of like the humans that made them or, or events that happen around them. And that's when you'll see some of these um, uh, recurring images and stuff like we, we've talked about before mm-hmm. that... You know, sometimes things aren't ghosts. They're just um, scenes in time that just keep replaying, almost like a movie. And some people believe that these things are soaked up in the rocks and, and certain types of, like, especially limestone, like I said. And then it just causes these scenes. I mean, I get that, but how did, how did two different people see the same thing? I don't know. Well, it could be that each person saw them when they had the stones. Yeah, keep in mind they had the stones in their house when they saw them. Mm-hmm. So, so it could just have been a coincidence. So, well, I mean, if it's some kind of energy connected to these stones, that's why other people would see them. Gotcha. Doesn't mean it was real. Mm-hmm. It just could have been an image they were seeing, like a hologram. Yeah. Now, there was another scientist by the name of Dr. Roberts. He was so interested in the stones. Um, and the stories that were kind of attached to them that he decided he was going to take them home and study them. And he put them in his car. As soon as he put the ignition in the car and turned it on, nothing happened. Put the ignition in the car? Yeah. Well, as soon as he put his key in the ignition, (laughs) (laughs) he put the key in the ignition and turned it on, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. He said he looked at the stones and said, stop that. And then he turned the car back on and it started up. Oh, stop. Oh, my gosh. That's what he said. Oh, (laughs) that's, well, so now he totally believes that. Yeah. You know, and this is a scientist, which typically mm-hmm. they don't believe in that kind of stuff. But, right. Uh, and as far as the stones today, nobody knows what their whereabouts are. They kind of nobody dis- knows they where disappeared at? a long time ago. <gasps> oh. So, what do you think about the Hexham heads after hearing that now? I don't know, really know what to think about it. 
I was all into it, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh. Why? I don't know. Why they all, though? I I don't know. I think because then he said he made them for the kids, and I don't know. Yeah, but it sounds like his story's kind of bullshit. Yeah. So, anyways, a couple cool things to talk about. We've got an interview tonight, and it's it's not your typical interview. We did a story uh, a while back. Uh, when we first started doing the listener stories that we said that we were going to kind of take the listener and then turn it into like one of our stories and tell it the way we did. One of the very first stories we did was from a a listener named Brian. And the story in a nutshell went back in the AOL days. He met a girl on chat. He didn't know she was into Wicca and all that stuff went over to her house. She had some kind of a demon in her house. He confronted it. And when he went home, the demon kind of followed him. And the next day, after all this stuff happened in his house, he wakes up and his girlfriend had called him and said that she found her dog dead tied from the tallest branch of the tree. So that was the story that he told. And uh, I told everybody back then he actually had a really inspirational story. And eventually we was going to get him on to tell it. And he's actually coming on tonight to tell that story. It's an awesome story. It is an awesome story. And I think it's going to touch a lot of you. Uh, like I said, it's not it's not our typical interview type deal. It's basically him just telling a story, and his life is amazing, and uh, what he's been through. And I, I just thought that uh, it was going to be really cool to get him on here. So I think you're going to love that. Uh, we recorded it the other night, and like I said, it's it's very touching, and it was very hard for him to tell a story. He's never told it to anybody. Uh, so I think you guys are uh, will benefit from this. Also. Uh, actually have another story this one's a little different that we're going to tell tonight than what our normal stories are because it's not well known at all it was uh an individual uh told this story to me and i thought it was fascinating so i decided to turn it into one of our stories but it's i thought it was really good and it's it fits into the type of things we do but like the hexam heads and stuff you can actually research you would have a hard time researching this because it's not something that anybody knows so you guys love to hear the stories that uh, you've never heard before and this is definitely probably one of them i believe you <laughs> all right so we're going to leave this at, well and the reason i preface it that because a lot of these stories we have a lot of details on yeah and some of these if i'm going to get personal stories a lot of times the details just aren't there. Like, I don't know the exact address and uh, all this stuff. I don't even know the exact city this really happened in. So it, it makes it a little tougher, but that's that's why I'm giving you the little uh, heads up. So this is, a we're going to say, from Joan from Indiana. When Joan was about 10 years old, her mom and dad filed for a divorce. This was kind of an abrupt deal. wasn't something they were uh, expecting. Yeah, it was just, just kind of jumped in there. Uh, Joan's mom only had a part-time job, uh, wasn't a whole lot of money going around, so that made finding a decent place to live um, that was affordable and actually a decent place kind of tough because they had to do it like right now. Mm -hmm. And when you get caught off guard like that, you know, money can be tight. Yeah, been there, done that. Right. (laughs) And a friend of uh, Joan's mom actually said that um, her husband had a friend, one of those friends of a friend deal, that had a mobile home. And the mobile home wasn't perfect, but it was available right now. And they said they could stay there practically for free. So that's what they decided they were going to do until something better came along. Joan immediately hated the house. She assumed that it was mainly God's, you know, the parents abrupt divorce and her life getting turned upside down that that she wasn't going to just like anything that happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she said it was also just the house itself. It just was something about it. It was kind of just kind of put her off. Now... She lived in, in like a little mountain town. This this home was at the very end of a steep, long driveway. So you can just kind of picture that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you live if you ever lived anywhere in these mountain towns, everything's up or down hills. There's nothing level. And uh, she said there's beautiful pine trees all the way around the house. But the house itself kind of looked abandoned and out of place. It was two-bedroom, two-bath. Um, her and her brother actually shared a bedroom. And then uh, her mom took the other bedroom that had the attached bathroom. It was a very 70s style house that had wood paneling all throughout and dated light fixtures and stuff like that. Also a bunch of holes in the wall that had been badly patched. So, you know, just but that's just something you just look at and don't really give any second thought to. Um, So Joan actually refused to use the hallway bathroom. 
She said she wouldn't even step into it. For whatever reason, she just had the worst feeling about it. And uh, her mom never really questioned it. She'd let her use her bathroom that was attached to her bedroom whenever she needed to use it. And a lot of times her mom wasn't home, so it really didn't matter. Yeah. Mom was gone a lot, always trying to find some kind of work or or, uh, whatever she could do to kind of, um, you know, keep the lights on, so to speak. And Joan and her brother were home a lot after school and, and on the weekends. Now, obviously, like most parents would do, when you're uh, leaving your kids home a lot by yourself, especially when one of them's 10 years old, you're going to tell them don't ever open the door for strangers. But what she did always say was always answer the phone because it could be her. And at this point in time, nobody really had their phone number. So if the phone rang, it was probably going to be her mom. One day the phone rings. Joan answers it. There was a woman on the phone that sounded concerned. She said, hello. This is 911 returning your phone call. We received your call but got disconnected. Well, Jonah immediately got a sick feeling because she knew that she hadn't called 911. Mm-hmm. She told the 911 operator that she hadn't called. And uh, the operator asked if there was anyone else in the house who could have called. Well, she was home all alone but was now starting to get worried that maybe somebody was in the house. Yeah. You know, that had called or something like that. And uh, 911 said that they would dispatch police to the house just to be sure everything was okay. At this point, she was terrified. You know, you're in the house, you're 10 years old. uh, So she goes outside and she sits kind of waiting nervously, waiting for the police to show up. And as soon as they get there, police asked her, you know, hey, did you call 911? She said no. They shrugged and said, well, sometimes these things happen. They say that it can't. They say that the numbers... uh, I can't get mixed up, but, you know, sometimes it happens. So he did a courtesy look around the house, didn't see anything, and left. And she tried to convince herself that the that the officer was right. You know, he just some kind of a mix-up. And uh, she just kind of started thinking, well, she hoped whoever needed the help originally got actually help. got the help. So a month later, the same thing actually happened. She explained to the 911 operator that this must be some kind of mistake. And the 911 operator actually kind of scolded her. You know, she said, look, 911's not something to play with. Uh, You're keeping other people from getting help, blah, 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 blah. No police were dispatched this time. She was still worried, though, that somebody was in the house. She checked all the doors and the windows and everything was locked. Now, what she doesn't know why, but she always kept the hall room bathroom door closed. We told you she don't like going in there. So she kept it closed all the time. Maybe it was because of the area of feeling she got. Who knows? But but she just did. She was checking the house, and she felt like someone was in that bathroom. She was terrified. Part of it felt like that she might want to open the door to check, but then the other part of her was too afraid to open the door to check. Where was the other kid? I don't know. I don't, I don't guess he was there all the time. Because oh. the only time these 911 calls happen is when she was there, she by, was there by herself. Yeah. So she just sat basically in the living room watching the door it was so quiet in the house that after a few minutes she could actually hear a faint little noises coming from inside there like uh kind of like a shuffling noise she asked her mom when she got home from work if she would actually go in there and check the bathroom so she made joan come with her and looked assured that there was nothing in there it was empty and her imagination was just getting the best of her the 911 calls happened three more times in the coming months and once again, only when Joan was home alone. The fourth time, the dispatcher said that she could actually face criminal charges for what she was doing and that um, they were going to contact her parents. Well, as soon as she hung up the phone, she started crying and was scared, obviously. Now she thinks she's in trouble for something she's not even doing. She felt like someone was in the house once again, but... If she called 911, she felt like she was either getting in trouble or nobody would show up, kind of like the little boy that cried wolf. It was like someone was playing a horrible joke on her, but she wouldn't know why somebody would do that. So she sat and watched that door, and she started hearing a noise like someone was dragging their fingers across the door. She decided her mom was right. She was just kind of letting her imagination, you know, go wild. So she decided to leave the door open so it wouldn't freak her out so much. Then she got the fifth 911 call. This time, though, after she hung up the phone, the bathroom door slammed shut. Yikes. She ran out of the house all the way down that steep driveway and found a place to wait till her mom got home. 
When her mom got home, she was mad at her for leaving the house, and but she saw that Joan was like really upset, and she just assumed that Joan was acting out because of the divorce, like sometimes now, kids do. But that poor kid can't catch a break. Yeah. So Joan refused to be in the house alone again, and it, they worked it out so she would either stay late at school or she'd go to a friend's house until uh, her mom got home from work. Shortly after this, Joan's mom uh, got a note from the friend that actually had given them the house and said that they were going to have to move because, unfortunately, she was going to need it. Her and her mom were going to need a place to stay. So they were going to have to move into it. So Joan and her uh, mom and little brother were going to have to move out of the place. So Joan tells her mom that she should probably tell her friend that there's something wrong with that house. And uh, her mom said that that was a ridiculous way to pay somebody back for their generosity. Mm -hmm. Well, so obviously she doesn't say anything about it. Joan and her family move out. Um, they move around a lot over the next few years, and it wasn't until Joan was actually older that she uh, witnessed an accident and had to call 911. When she did that, all this paranoia kind of came back to her. Mm. She decided she was going to do some research, and she found out that a few years before that they moved into that mobile home, a woman was actually killed in the house in some kind of a domestic dispute. And it was days before they actually found her body shut up in the bathroom. The hallway bathroom. Oh. So I thought that was kind of a cool story. So maybe the ghost was calling 911. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably there was so many domestic disturbances where she had probably called 911 so many times. That's sad. Oh, my gosh. So And we we talked about, which that's a little different, but we talked about earlier with the the other one, you hear residual hauntings. And Mm -hmm. residual hauntings, it's like I said, they're not actual ghosts. They're images that are replaying over and over that you just happen to see and it's kind of like a residual haunting except for the fact of the calls are actually going through to 911 that's crazy isn't it yeah i thought that was kind of a messed up it is messed up oh i hate that you know if a woman's getting battered and she's trying to get help and nobody listens well i mean yeah that sucks it does oh that makes it really tough to transition into anything uh, positive. But hey, um, it's Christmas time and it's time to buy your hillbilly horror stuff. Yeah, yo. So if you know somebody wanting it, uh, they've got uh, a bunch of good deals going on right now. They actually got free shipping. If you order, uh, I think it's if it's over $45, you get free shipping. Perfect. So that's pretty cool. If you live outside the United States, it's actually like, I think it's $80 or 85 before you get free shipping. Mm-hmm. But it's because it costs so much to ship to you guys. So just go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. You can get everything from mugs to shower curtains. I'm going to keep pushing those shower curtains because well, um, Mia said she wanted a shower curtain. She did. She did. Uh, so That's who knows? So nice, Maybe yeah. our first uh, shower curtain will be in uh, in um, Nebraska. Maybe so. That would be that would be great. But, but don't let him be so pushy, though. Yeah, we got uh, we got one of the mugs the other day, and the mugs actually turned out really they well. Yeah, they turned out really good. Uh, we've gotten a couple of the shirts. We know uh, uh, we've had some people buy some shirts and tell us that they really like the mm-hmm. quality and everything of it. Yeah, so. it's so we're excited about this. Yeah, Jessica got her shirt the other day. She yeah. was oh really my gosh, happy with girl, it. it looked good on you. Let me tell you. Yeah. So, um, like I said, go there. We got shirts starting out at fifteen bucks a piece there. Yeah. So you can get you can get some cheap stuff. I think the mugs are we got like three different types of mugs, smaller, bigger, and latte. Uh, so <laughs> what well, is that's what they are oh, the latte that mugs. Called? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's I mean it's a bunch mug. of cool stuff. So if you know somebody, because you know we've actually had people buy the shirts that don't even listen to the show because they just think the logo is cool. Oh yeah. So there's you know maybe people Wait. like the logo. What? You don't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But but they would be nice little um, Christmas gifts or yeah nothing says Christmas like horror just ask Tim I'm Burton I'm just saying yeah you know we know how a lot of people roll so yeah it'd be nice so anyways um, I want to go ahead and get into this this uh, story that we got going on from Brian I think you guys are going to get a big kick out of this uh, not in a uh, like funny way like no, when we did uh-uh. when we did Jack Kenna. That was a fun thing. This is actually um, disturbing on a lot of levels. And I know we did Josh's story a while back, and we got a lot of response about how Josh's story was like. I mean, we had people like writing like writing stuff like, "Man, Josh's story was like." Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, and I think you're gonna be the same way with Brian's story. So let's uh, let's listen to Brian from Ohio. 
All right, guys, welcome back. We have got a guest that I think you guys are going to find completely fascinating. I know I do. Uh, we told part of his story on a show uh, back four, five, six weeks ago. Uh, but I told you back then we were going to have him on to tell us uh, some extra parts of the story. And we've decided after talking that we're actually going to have him just kind of start from the beginning and, and tell his story. And, and if this just not just completely blow you away i don't know what would so i think would you would agree right tracy that i, I agree completely just, and we haven't heard all of it yet yeah. but we've heard enough to know that we want to hear the whole story so let's welcome uh on the air to uh brian from ohio brian thank you so much i know this is a, a tough thing for you to talk about and you haven't shared this with very many people your exact words were though that you felt like this needed to be told and we're honored that you actually chose our show to um, share this information. Well, thank you for letting me come on. Go ahead, and and you said uh, this started back when you were about eighteen years old or so. Um, why don't you start from the beginning, and I'm just going to let you just tell your story. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I've seen things prior, but what really I think started this whole thing was um, before I married my first wife. I was in a horrible car accident. I was teaching her how to drive, and it was a bright, sunny day after a rainstorm, so everything was still wet. And when we came to the stop sign, she she obviously didn't see it, but when she started going by, she slammed on the brakes on the gravel road. On the gravel road, it picked up speed, but once it hit the wet grass, it just, uh, things went fast from there. I actually ended up, she ended up hitting a brick house where I got catapulted through the windshield into the brick house um what they told me after that was i was up cleaning up the mess worried about the people the house but once i got put in the ambulance they pronounced me dead on the scene um we had to go through two towns and they brought me back on an operating table where they put over 150 stitches in my head um i can remember being over the top of myself watching me until i came through because i was gone so long i lost certain parts of my memory so things are kind of hard to fully explain um, before that, things, I mean, I've had little bits and flashes and stuff where, one, I'd, I'd like to talk about uh, before that was actually I would see a person up in my bedroom in this new house my parents bought when I was five where I kept seeing a person walk out of this chimney, and that was kind of odd, but yeah. later I met this person as he drove down the road. So I saw him, but it was a person that was still alive. And I kept telling my parents that I was seeing this, and they didn't believe me. So, I mean, I, I grew up in the situation that, that I'll later explain. And yeah, anyway, the person in the truck was actually a person that built the house, uh, built the chimney, and he had a hard time in the house. But uh, after my car accident, I had a lot of issues. Um, I did end up marrying this person and getting later getting a divorce. Um, but after that, I dated the um, person that we l first talked about, the girlfriend, um, the ghost. I mean, I still didn't believe him because I was raised that way. So, you know, I was raised there was no such thing. Let's challenge this ghost. Well, I did that. And, and if, if you listen to the first story, you, you know, you'll find out what happened there. Um, but let's go to after that story where I started reaching out to people on the internet uh, on AOL. I met a group and started doing readings and stuff, um, helping out people, learning more about the pagan religion, which then led me into shamanism and everything else because I really wanted to study what occurred at that situation. After that fan got thrown at me from nowhere, and that, I mean, that radio I still don't believe turned on. And I don't remember what I did to that radio, but I know it ended up in the trash can. But I studied, and I met people online, and they helped me understand that I somehow was gifted into, I guess they don't call it a psychic, but an energy reader. You can read energy around yourself and around other people, and you I learned how things were connected. I don't know where to go from there. Uh, Ten years later, um, after that divorce, after the breakup from that girlfriend, I ended up raising my son, who was autistic, by myself um, with no help. And I ended up in Ohio trying to raise him on a system that was broken. And, uh, and that was difficult. But we ended up in an apartment building that was run down. And uh, I was doing my gifts at that time, helping people find missing people, um, helping, I helped the police one time find a missing person. Uh, wow. They, 
they brought me a map. I can remember that they brought me a map, and I kind of got a feeling of how this person was missing, um, kind of where they were. And I don't know if it's a strange gift or not, but I can actually see places as clear as a bell that I've never been. I walked them around a little housing development, I guess it would be, and told them, you know, that she was with people there, and they found found her and uh, sent me a thank you letter. Wow, that's amazing. Um, that just, you know, it got me deeper and deeper into doing things, mm-hmm. and I was doing readings, and... I was getting messages and giving messages, you know. But what was really bad was the deeper that I got into the spirituality, into seeing and speaking with spirits, I'd get nightly visitors. Mm -hmm. Um, People would want to give me messages when I didn't want them. I didn't know how to close down as well as I should have. Um, And I ended where this kind of led me was I I guess at that time I mean this is a little hard to talk about because I still don't believe it at the time but I guess people would come up to me um, I remember one spirit I was reaching a person and they wondered if I could actually talk to their grandfather mm-hmm. well I've reached out to their grandfather who was I never found out anything about him but when I talked to the grandfather he was on a ship that was destroyed well, the way that he brought his message was he crawled in with no legs. Oh, Lord. One person that I reached was actually a suicide. The person that I was helping said that his friend died, and he'd like to know what. Well, it ended up being a suicide, so this person came to me with gashes on his wrists um, and things like that. It just got really bad. Yeah, well, I'm sure that took a toll on you. And it took a major toll. Um, it took a major toll, um, and the, the deeper I got into it, the more I tried to back away from it, and the system eventually um, sent me to a counselor who then took my son. They took, uh, this is where it's going to get hard. Take your time, honey. Um, they took my son and put me in counseling. At that time, I f- was fighting major depression. I didn't have a job. I had no family or friends because everybody I knew was born and raised in New York. I didn't have a church. I didn't have anybody here. The money I had, you know, I didn't have, I, I was on a bus trying to get help, try to find a job, that type of thing. And when they took my son, it just seems like my world just crashed around me. And in that meantime, there were still things coming to me that I didn't want to see. One thing that I didn't want to see was, as I was sitting on the couch, I, and I don't know, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about this before, but they call it a doppelganger, mm-hmm. where you actually see a darker version of yourself, and they talk to you, and that actually happened to me, and when I told my counselor, they immediately took me out of my apartment and put me in a hospital for six months, and I kept trying to explain to them that, you know, what I was seeing was, wasn't in my head. Mm-hmm. I mean... There's a difference between seeing things that are, you know, made up and things that are actually real that you're helping people that you need to protect yourself from. Well, they never got that. So I lost my apartment. I lost my son. And I basically just ended up on the street homeless once they let me go. They didn't put me on the system or anything else. They put me on a medication that was so strong that they said that if I kept taking it, I would have and eventually just ended up on a street corner somewhere dead for three years i fought really hard um trying to come back from all this i mean i'd live on dumpsters i'd eat wherever i could eat you know i I learned where churches were giving out tents or i learned where churches were giving out meals it was just one big fight um you, you know during the winter you tried to figure out how to stay warm how to you know how to survive but i remember um on on the third year, I was I was waiting, just praying to die. I mean, I'm just sitting in the back of this dumpster. You know, why did you? You know, why did you do all this to me? What what good is this? And as I'm asking this question, you know, the, it was windy. Um, it looked like it was about to rain. But what happened really? Uh, I don't know. It was like a white light that surrounded me, and 
at that moment, I remember back in the hospital bed, like they say that, that you're going to meet people up and, on, you know, on the other side. And I believe that's what actually happened to me was, you know, I was given a choice whether I could live or, you know, go to, you know, go to the great beyond. Well, I think I made that choice. And when that uh, the wind blew, it blew a paper up to me. Um, and as I looked at the paper, it had a, a job uh, interview that I would have had to get on a bus and get to. Well, I found a quarter and I went to that job and it, it was for a cable installation. And when I got to the cable installation, they gave me the job, but they also gave me a truck to use back and forth. And I explained my situation and I'm like, you know, I don't have anywhere to, to go. I don't have anything. So he set me up in an apartment, and I got my feet back underneath me. However, I never did use my gifts, um, not like I did. Uh, there was a place up here that was a spiritual shop called Mystic Nirvana where I went in, and I talked about spirituality and about situations, you know, and how to help. I helped people in a totally different way, um, not so much with spiritual gifts, but I guess giving them direction. And I often wonder... You know, how many people in the same situation get put in hospitals? Not because they're going crazy, but because they see things and they don't have somebody to help them steer them in the right direction. I mean, I keep wondering if I had somebody to help me learn how to cleanse besides a book, you know, if I would even gone that far. You know, it's funny, Brian. We, we talked uh, a few episodes ago. We talked about... Um the island outside of Italy that's kind of forbidden and then how it had a, uh, an institution on it, an asylum. And they had talked on there about how people would see things on the island, but the people that were in the institution, they would see things, but people just disregarded it because they were deemed to be crazy or psychotic. And, and the question back then was how many of those people were actually seeing ghosts and stuff like that, but because of their uh, status mm -hmm. nobody actually believed them and just assumed they were crazy yeah, so, that's so that sad. that ties into what you were saying it's probably throughout time especially in the in the earlier parts of the 20th century that probably happened quite a bit to people who had the gifts that saw stuff they probably did end up in institutions somewhere wow. yeah it's very unfortunate it is. Um, you know i think society needs to open up and and it's a two-way street you know, I think I went too far, but there has to be an even balance. Well, I know we, we talked, uh, I talked to Jack Kenna a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was during that conversation where we did talk about that when, you know, as far as doctors and medical science, they don't, um, there is no option other than what science tells you. Uh, you know, we, we did a story on the uh, Demon House in Gary, Indiana, and that lady was, uh, she was very religious. And one of the things that they told her was they thought her religion was actually causing them to see things that weren't actually there. And one of the things through therapy that they did was she had to pretty much say that she wasn't going to use any kind of religious means for punishment. She was going to uh, have to change her religious views before they would give her her kids back. And I thought that was a, a, a crappy way for a court system or anybody to tell, tell somebody what's real and what's not real when it comes to the religious of realm. Course. And, uh, you know, just the, the realm of spirituality, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, while I was in the hospital, that's basically what happened to me, too, um, is that I basically had to lose that side of me. And because I saw that, you know, society just it doesn't, I can't speak for all of it, but I can see that a major part of it just isn't ready for the spirituality side of things. Um, even today, you know, I own I own the store instead of doing readings and helping people spiritually. And it's only recently that I, you know, reached out to you guys. And um, I don't know, you know, things happen when it's time. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, I'm Hopefully never, it's I'm time. Not, I'm never going to understand the lack of belief in what people see. And the reason I say that is 
there are so many religious people, and this isn't a shot at religious people by any means, but if you tell somebody who believes in God, oh, there's a being that you can't see, you just have to trust is there, and all this happened, and, you know, he had a son that came here. You listen to all that from just from a standpoint of of making sense. None of that stuff really sounds believable. But <laughs> if you're religious, you just accept it without even thinking that it doesn't sound rational. It's just what you right. believe, and there's nothing wrong with your beliefs. But them same people will tell you, well, you didn't see this. There's no way you could see a ghost. Uh, ghosts don't exist. This don't exist. And it makes no sense when the same people believe in a being that you've never seen, seen before, before in your life. Exactly. So it's like I said, it's not a knock against anybody who believes that, but it's almost a little bit, you know, hypocritical. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, it's like seeing, you know, as I said, who's seen a ghost walk out of a out of a uh, upstairs chimney that who would know twenty years later they'd drive down the road? You know, my parents never saw it, but as soon as I saw the guy in the truck, I'm like, that's the guy that's been visiting me up up in the attic where I used to sleep. You know, they it's just we're human. You know, we're spiritual beings walking a human existence, and it's what side of that teeter totter you want to put your weight in. But it has to be an even balance. Brian, let's, let's, let's end this like this. Um, what advice would you have for other people out there listening that may have gifts that are struggling with coming to grips with what they see or how to handle it or even telling anybody that these gifts exist? What advice, what everything you've been through, would you give to those people? Well, you got to have to really be careful of who you tell. Um, because if they don't believe you, you know, it's going to take a while for them to catch up. For people that are going to the hospital, for going through the situations, you know, it's a fight. You can never give up. Just don't give up. I mean, dying's not the answer. No, it's you, not. Never the answer. And while we're on that subject, you, you've dealt a lot with people who were suicidal. Uh, dealt with it yourself. Any advice for anybody out there that might be struggling with life right now? Absolutely. You know, even times right now, it, it may seem tough. And a lot of times it is really tough. But a lot of that's made up around the situation. Um, the stresses and the feelings. You know, all that will pass. Never give up. Keep fighting. And things will pass. Have you know, you, things will work out. Oh, so have you... If this, have you learned how to shut it off yet, or? I've never opened it up until this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm getting glimpses. I have with the friends at Mystic. I have uh, learned a lot and come a long way. That's probably the best thing to do is find a support group, mm-hmm. people that know what they're talking about, not books. You know, books are great. I'm an author. Books are great, but. Nothing beats life experience. Well, you have to. I can tell you, you're a very strong individual. Absolutely. And you have gone through so much in your life and fought through, and I am just so proud of you. And I just, I thank you so much for sharing this with us. I just, I wish I could hug you right now. Just keep being strong. <laughs> and keep fighting. It'll, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Mr. Things Will. will work out. Patience, perseverance. Yeah. Things like me, you'll get through it. Right, and I mean, I don't know how many people could go through that. You know what I'm saying? It's a hell of a lot more than I've ever been through in my life. Oh, yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. And you know, and I felt like I've been through some stuff, but that's the amazing thing is when you, it doesn't matter how bad you've had it or how bad you think you've had it. There's always somebody, usually within you know, a quarter of a mile from you, yeah. that's had it ten times worse than you have, right. and it's it's just a matter of talking to people and realizing that. Um, Life is what you make of it. And you can't keep that stuff bottled up. You just cannot do that. I mean, it's it's just, you know, terrible for your soul, and you shouldn't have to deal with all that by yourself. No, absolutely not. But, I mean, you know, it's something that I also learned was that we all go through the same thing. You know, it's different levels. Um, 
different times, different levels. You know, we've all pretty much been through the same thing. It's just life experiences, and we have to take them as they come. We can't give up. No, we cannot. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing this. Uh, What I know is a truly personal and and hard story to tell, but I think, uh, as we talked before, I think this is going to benefit a lot of people. And, you know, the the thousands of people that listen to our show, I'm sure there's several that are struggling with some things right now that I think your words are going to mean something. I mean, they mean something to me. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I just, I don't know. I appreciate it. Wow, I appreciate you. So, thank you. You're welcome, Brian. Thank you so much, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully. We'll talk to you soon. So that was Brian's story. What did you think about that? I think that he is a very strong individual that's been through hell and back, if you ask me. And um, I'm so proud of where he's come from, what he's done. And I thought it was very brave of him to tell that story. And I swear, I just I wanted to just give him the biggest hug and have him come over and <laughs> kind of hang out with us and talk to him some more because his story was very touching. And it really makes you – you really need to think to yourself how good you have it in your life because some people really just don't and have to go through those hard times. And, I mean, you know, he brought up some really good points about, you know, what about people who do see these things? Yeah. That that some people just automatically mark them off as they've got some kind of mental issues or yeah. something because and, there's no way. Right. And, I mean, that's terrible. The, the, like you said, not only have to, to deal with those issues, but then have people think you're crazy or, you know, just won't believe you. That has just to be the, a horrible feeling. You know, and this is a man who just tried to use his abilities mm-hmm. to the best of his, you know, uh, society to be able to help things yeah, out, would help the right. police, and then these things come home, and then, you know, he ends up losing his kid over it. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, you know, it's ends crazy. up homeless on mm-hmm. on his last legs, and yeah, you know, it's a, like I said, it's a very touching story because mm-hmm. he really truly had a gift, and you know, to try to help police and help find people and things like that and for it to come back and bite him in the butt seriously that that's ridiculous and normally we don't talk about this kind of thing but you know i edited uh the the interview and actually took some stuff out if you listen to it the original without any editing to it it really comes across as how hard it was for him to tell that story oh, yeah it was it there, was really hard. there were a lot of longer pauses uh, just trying to gather himself and stuff like that. And I, and I edited a lot of that out uh, just to make it flow a little better. But I almost thought about, for the first time, not editing. Yeah. Just so you could get the full effect of it. Yeah. But I wanted to actually do him justice as well and make sure that he of course. you know, sounded as good as he possibly could of on course, it. And, yeah. But the, it was obvious during the interview, if you listen to the unedited version, there were several times where he was breaking down and, and really struggling to tell the story and... Uh, we just really appreciate so yeah, much we, that we do. he chose this platform uh, to, to tell that story because he's had other opportunities and just didn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and we thank you for sharing that with us because it, I mean, it touched my heart. It really did. Yeah, mine too. That's it for this week. I don't uh, have a clue what next week's show is going to be about, so it'll be a surprise we to all of us. are going to be so full of turkey and gobble-gobble that we're not going to be able to do the podcast probably. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I will be doing the podcast. Yeah, because that's not true. (laughs) But we will be full, I promise you. So thank you guys so much. We love you, and and we appreciate all of you. I do want to say this. This is going to how we're going to end, because it is our pre-Thanksgiving. So we won't be back on until after Thanksgiving. I want to say that we are 100% thankful for each and every one of you who listen to this show. We get to interact with you guys on a regular basis. Hillbilly Horror Stories on Facebook. Look us up. Write us. Like Mia found out, if you write us, we always respond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that meant a lot to her because she said that, you know, because I I responded to her and I was like, you know, we always respond. We tell everybody we respond. She said, yeah, but so do a lot of of other podcasts. And she said she had wrote somebody two, two years ago. They didn't respond. 
And then when they eventually did respond, they said they were going to give her a shout out. Then they didn't. Mm-hmm. And and trust me, I understand that some yeah. some of the bigger shows they do have a hard time keeping track. It it is a almost a full time job. Oh gosh, yeah. Just responding to everybody who either emails us, sends us something on Twitter, yeah. or Facebook. And, and it, I'm sure that they didn't mean to forget you. Yeah, and I'm, you know, but but it is hard. Uh, and especially, you know, I could imagine as hard as it is for us at the bigger shows, you know, that have three to four times what we got, they probably got three to four times as much oh my gosh, mail and imagine. messages. So, uh, but, but no, we, we love each and every one of you and we always want to interact with you. Of course. If you ever send us a message and we didn't send something back, it's just an oversight that we'll probably still get to. Oh yeah. And send it again. Yeah. Because like I said, we, we love you guys and, uh, we, we wouldn't be doing this if it wouldn't for you. And uh, we've had a tremendous year, and I'm fully thankful um, for what you guys have have helped us to accomplish this year. We edged closer um, to eventually making this a full-time gig, which we never thought would have been possible, and who knows? I mean, somewhere down the road, this this is probably going to be a full-time gig, and it'll be thanks to you guys. Yeah, we hope so, and um, I'm, I'm with Jerry. I'm thankful for each and every one of you guys, and... You know, your all's uh, comments and, you know, things like that, they honestly do mean the world to us. And I just, we are so humbled and just amazed of how kind everybody's been to us. So we love you guys. We just want you to know and thank you for your continued support. And I hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your loved ones. You know, get your bellies full and all that fun stuff. Uh, but just into- enjoy your time together with your family. Yep, and I'll, I'll, I'll end on this uh, because actually this was brought up to me the other day, and it's a, a cool idea. You know, not everybody, a lot of people want to support the show, and we appreciate each and every every way that you can support the show. Um, you don't have to support the show financially. There's a lot of ways you can support us that help us out tremendously. iTunes reviews being one of them. But here's something that maybe you haven't thought about that if you could do would help out tremendously. Try to get one other person to listen to the show. Simple as that. You can do that by just telling somebody. You can do that by posting it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Try to get one other person because eventually we will make this a full-time gig and it's going to come through advertisers Mm -hmm. advertisers come when you have listeners you got to have a certain amount and that's just the way that it is and we're so close to that amount and just think if every one of you listening could get one person we would double the amount of listeners we would have and we could literally make this a full-time job so that's what we're shooting for doesn't cost a penny out of your pocket if you want to help us the most you can just spread the word spread the word that's the most uh appreciative thing you can yep. do and and we would like i say we would appreciate it so yep. I, I will take you uh getting another person to listen over your money any day of the oh week. absolutely absolutely because you guys that's what you guys mean to us we love you guys um we have just we are just tickled we have so many new friends and excited to make a lot more Yep, and trust me, when this becomes a full-time gig, it's going to be at least two episodes every week. So we're yeah. not going to do the one thing. It'll be two every week, and then there'll be a lot more added to Patreon and stuff. So uh, we'll give you everything that we can possibly give. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Love ya. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness awaits.